So quick spoiler alert for those of you trying to watch it tonight in prime time. I, you're not going to be able to avoid the spoiler, so so give that up. That'll get It's everywhere. I got like six different push alerts when it happened. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is July 27th, 2021, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Neil Payne is trapped in his bunker in an undisclosed location. Just kidding. He's on vacation. But joining me from Los Angeles is 538 contributor Jeff Foster. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Sarah. I I still don't even get introduced first when Neil isn't here. I know. I actually thought about that, and I was like, we nope, still have to nope, gonna say keep it. where Neil is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. And then uh, we go to Cal. No, you don't have to apologize. <laughs> um, have you been enjoying the Olympics, Jeff? I have been, but I did not, you know, we got breaking news here on the pod. I did yeah. not watch the gymnastics this morning, but I've been reading or trying to read the, uh, what mm-hmm. happened? Were you were watching? Tell me what I was. happened. So quick spoiler alert for those of you trying to watch it tonight in prime time. I, you're not going to be able to avoid the spoiler. So, so give that up. That'll get, it's everywhere. I got like six different push alerts when yeah. it happened. No. So on her first event, Simone Biles had a bad vault and withdrew from the rest of the team competition, which was stunning and also pretty much ended the U.S. chances at gold. And the the other competitors who stepped up, they did great. Um, They competed admirably, but the U.S. uh, came in with the silver medal behind Russia. So, yeah, that was a bit of of a twist. You know, basically every story going into the Olympics were like, well, you know, we're going to win the gymnastics gold. So or the team, you know, gold. So everything else is just gravy. And it's like, oh, no, actually, no, <laughs> maybe not. I, I mean, it's a medal we normally win. But how how hurt was she? I mean, she said it was a medical issue. So there was some really conflicting information out of USA Gymnastics. Not terribly surprising. First, they said it was a medical issue. Then they said it was a mental issue. Then they went back to saying it was a medical issue. You know, mental issues are also medical issues. So so, so there's that. What it looked like happened was she was having a hard time landing. What can happen when you're in the air on all of these events, if you can't spot yourself, you can, you know, you can really get yourself hurt. They call it getting the twisties and it happens to gymnasts all the time. It doesn't happen to Simone Biles very often in big competitions. So it's unclear if she did actually hurt her, injured herself a little bit on that vault or not, but she, it does sound like she wants... She's still hoping to compete in the all around later this week and in the individual apparatus events next week. Is she still considered the favorite for that or? She was first in in qualification still, even though she didn't have a great qualification meet. If she is, you know, if she's hurt, if she's struggling with her confidence, that's a that's a really different issue. I will I will say there's been some some comparisons on Twitter this morning. I know. I know, Twitter, whatever. But comparing this to the whole Carrie Strug thing in 1996, I just want to say the fact that she was not forced to compete, possibly injured or worried that she might get injured, does say something about where we have come. The fact that Carrie Strug had to land a vault or was thought she had to land a vault with a nearly broken ankle was bad. And we should stop valorizing that. We should stop. I mean, all, you know, 
Carrie did great. We should stop thinking that that was a good move for the adults who were supposed to protect the girls on that team. So I, I'm, I think that if Simone wasn't feeling right, this was absolutely the right move for her. And I'm, I'm proud of her for knowing herself and believing in herself and understanding herself well enough that she wasn't going to do it. And I'm proud that she could do that. I'm proud. I'm proud of the team for not forcing that. That is a big change in USA Gymnastics. There's still a lot of other problems in USA Gymnastics. Well, lots and lots and lots of them. Uh, But but I, I am I am happy about that because it is not worth her career, her life, her health for a gold medal. It's just not. Yeah, we've talked about in the past about this sport. It's just so grueling. And, you know, there's a reason there hasn't been a woman win two all arounds in consecutive Olympics since when when was it since it was like the mid or early 70s or something like that because it's just it moves so fast the comp the level of competition and not to throw any shade on Simone but it's just to show what she's up against there's nothing take nothing for granted it, it's incredibly difficult to maintain superiority or just like excellence across eight years or in this case, nine years. And it really, that really speaks to what a talented, you know, once in a generation athlete she is. The way that gymnasts are trained right now. And there's, we have, there's a, there's a piece on our site right now that talks about the developmental timeline of gymnasts and how all of it should be rethought. Starting these kids so young, having them peak in their early to mid teens, you know, peak for elite competition at, 16. That doesn't need to happen like that. Um, we don't have to start them so young, but to stay at that level, they, the, the amount of training they have to do, it makes it really hard for you to go live your life and then come back to gymnastics. So, you know, once you've done a quad, an Olympic quad, why would you want to come back? The training it takes, the work it takes is, is wild. Um, so Props to Simone. And I and I think Simone is the greatest and she had nothing to prove. She had nothing to prove going into this. And and whatever ends up happening the rest of these Olympics, what happened in the team final, none of that changes the fact that Simone Biles is the greatest gymnast ever. And that's that's just where that stands. <laughs> On today's show, we'll talk about an old favorite, conference realignment, what the move by Texas and Oklahoma means for the SEC and Big 12, and for college football as a whole. Then we'll talk to 538 video producer Michael Tabb about some of the mental games at play in Olympic sports. And finally, we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. On Monday, the universities of Texas and Oklahoma jointly announced their intention not to renew their grant of media rights to the Big 12 Conference when their current contract ends in 2025. This confirms leaked reports from last week that the two schools intend to move to the SEC, creating a 16-team super conference that would shake up the balance of power in college football. And on ESPN's Pardon the Interruption, Mike Wilbon had a very emphatic opinion on this development. I hate it. I hate it. I grew up in a different world. You know, I'm not 15 years old or 25 years old. I, I grew up in a world where the, the Big Ten were 10 schools that I cared about and knew where each of them was located and could tell you the name of their stadiums. And now you're just going to have like two conferences. That's all it's going to be. So, so much for the Power Five. It's going to be the Power Two. And each one of them will have like 25 schools in it. And it's a waste of my time. It's a waste of time to talk about conferences. There are no more conferences. And by the way, I have not, Tony, maybe you've heard this. I haven't heard anybody ask or answer the question, why the hell should the SEC even do this? Why? 
The SEC, there's two conferences really that matter the, in, in, in multiple sports, and certainly starting in football. The SEC and the Big Ten. Why does the SEC need Texas even? As big and as strong as Texas. We don't need Texas. So why, is the, why don't the SEC just say, stay in your own lane? We don't need you. As someone who is also not 15 or 25 years old, I'm feeling Michael Wilbon. There is a lot we can pick out of this take. But first, I want to ask you, Jeff, why would the SEC want to become a super conference more than they already are? Why don't they tell Texas to stay in their own lane? It's money. I mean, it's all money. I mean, look, in this case, I think it's more the Big 12's money problems compared to the Big 10 and the SEC in particular. Uh, I mean, the Big 12 was, you know, trying to renegotiate their contract, uh, their TV contract, and wasn't getting as much money. They don't have their own channel. The SEC, I think it was in December, signed this new deal with ESPN and got boatloads. And look, there's just for these two schools, for Oklahoma and Texas, it's really just about earning and how much money can we make with this program? And it's like sort of pretty simple capitalism. And the sport is changing so fast that to me, this wasn't even remotely surprising. And I think if you, the way college sports is going, and we've talked, this has been an ongoing theme in this space. Um, (laughs) The NCAA has kind of lost hold of the sport. You know, we certainly saw this in COVID where it was like the wild West and, and then, you know, all the conferences were were saying we're not going to play, and then the SEC said we're going to play, and all the other conferences were like, oh yeah, well, we're we're going to play also. We just changed <laughs> our minds, um, which shows how much the SEC, you know, r- commands this sport. But at the same time, it shows that there's no structure, and that these conferences and, and universities are going to do whatever they want because they, they've kind of you know they no longer have their hand on the reins at all, if they ever did, is another question. Um, so I would expect more change. I think this is just the beginning. I mean, this is obviously the, the biggest like sort of conference uh, realignment we've seen in, in 10 years or even longer. But, you know, I think there's no room, you know, sort of like Wilbon is in, in that clip there to be sentimental and to be a traditionalist because <laughs> more is going to happen. Yeah. This is this is like you you can't like get married to the way things were or no. you know, the teams you used to always play because first of all these conferences have been constant constantly changing it just might be not involving Texas and Oklahoma but you know we saw Texas A and M and Missouri move and you know we saw Maryland and Rutgers go to the Big Ten and and all, all sorts of different things and this is you know Utah and, and stuff going to the Pac-12 so there, there's more to come. I think that's right. I do I do think it's interesting from a results on the field standpoint. I'm not so sure this is actually a smart move for Oklahoma and Texas. Obviously they're going to make a ton of money. That's what they care about. That's all that matters. I gotcha. But like they've been the big dogs in the Big 12. They will not be in the SEC, right? I mean, they will be in the well, picture, I mean, but I don't even know if Texas has been a big dog in a well, big right. club. <laughs> yeah. So, so for them, yeah, I mean, th- maybe it helps with recruiting with Texas. Frankly, um, it, I think Oklahoma sort of had a good setup where their, you know, while well, their conference was by no means easy, they did kind of were the class of the conference, and now I think they're going to have a lot harder schedule. But it, it, not to say there's a huge difference between the sort of middle tier of the Big 12 and the bottom of the SEC. E- either way, 
I think the end of the day, Saban's not going to be there forever. He's getting up there. We have seen power shifts in college football, and these programs are well-equipped to sort of take the throne uh, once once the throne is, is vacated. abdicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, look at the, the Clemson kind of emerged seemingly out of nowhere um, from a program that wasn't doing well. So a lot can change. I think it's pretty like short-sighted to think they might not be able to compete next year or the year after that or the year after that, but uh, 10 years down the line, but we'll see. What Are you surprised at all about Oklahoma doing this to Oklahoma State? I mean, does that is that surprised me? It, it's interesting because Texas A and M was like furious about yeah. it. But they're like, uh, "No, the SEC's our thing." Yeah, uh, do not come here, Texas. <laughs> uh, they were like, legitimately, they were upset about it. They didn't yeah. want nothing to do with Texas coming coming back into their conference. Um, I was a little, yeah, I was a, mildly surprised by that. Um, I think. It's interesting to me what happens to the Big 12 now or what's left of the Big 12. Oklahoma State stands out as as one of the better programs left kind of twisting in the wind. I I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, if Oklahoma State goes to the Pac-12 or something like that. I think West Virginia has kind of always been clamoring to go to the ACC geographically. That makes a lot more sense. So if there is a situation where what's left of the Big 12 just disbands, then then sure, those two moves could happen. I could see, and I'm, I want to get your thoughts on this, I could see Iowa State in the Big Ten. It kind of makes more sense. Right. There are two things standing in the way of that. Well, at least two things. Iowa. I mean, it does not help Iowa to have its biggest in-state rival in the same conference making the same amount of money. Like it, it, right. Iowa would, I'm sure, prefer to keep Iowa State out of the Big Ten. Also, what Iowa State brings to the Big Ten is like nothing. I mean, there's no yeah, like that's furthering and, the, and, the and that's media true market. With, with West Virginia, you know, yeah. like uh, I don't know what they're really offering the ACC. Uh, Kansas is an interesting one. I could see them going to the Big Ten too, but just because of really more for the a basketball play because I think their basketball brand does probably make them an, an enticing candidate. So, so that's an interesting one. But yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more movement. I, you know, there's always been talk of, you know, Virginia Tech going to the SEC or, or even North Carolina. So who knows? I mean, the SEC might not be done. And, yeah. and if the SEC gets big enough, we might see some crazy, we might see, you know, people have talked about a, a Big Ten and Pac-12 merger. Yeah, so that that was like Wilbon's idea there in his take that there will eventually just be two super conferences. Like that's a a joke, but maybe not a joke, right? I mean, is that is that what we're coming to? Uh, is it's, it's possible? I mean, look it, at the end of the day, it, it, if money is the deciding factor, people will uh, and, and organizations and and schools will go where the money is, and yeah. the Big Ten and the Pac twelve to a certain. Uh, in a certain sense, makes sense. I mean, they, they te- tend to, you know, like just looking how the COVID stuff went down, th- those two conferences were always in lockstep. They clearly see eye to eye. And they have this kind of like academic prestige thing going on. Um, so it would it would make sense. I mean, it would not make sense geographically because you would be literally spanning the entire country when you talk about Maryland, Rutgers, and Washington and USC in the same conference. So you'd have to do something there and develop a pod system or a different division system. And then you get closer and closer to something that looks like the NFL. And that might be the direction we're going. 
I mean, that's, I, you know, it's funny. People talk about paying the athletes would ruin college football. It seems like the conference situation is the thing that will actually ruin college football. There's a lot of, when you get to super, super conferences, there are going to be schools left out schools. And there are schools already, you know, the group of five schools that have already left out of getting to play in the playoff and, and getting the money from all of this. And I mean, this, this feels so much, it's so funny that we just went through this with the super league nonsense in, in, in European soccer. And now it's, it was like college football was like, Oh wait, that was our idea. <laughs> let's go back and do that. Let's uh, let's just have a super, a super conference and, and kick out anyone else. I, ca- I just, I hate it so much. But, uh, I To me, the, uh, maybe the tipping point was Rutgers and Maryland going into the big 10 for me yeah. as a big 10 fan. Like it, it's all very contrived as yeah. is in yeah. the conference champ. Championships are feel very contrived um, and are really not a traditional thing to begin with. So I think at the end of the day, from a fan point of view, you're still going to get Saturdays at noon or Saturdays at 3.30 and you're going to get great games. And it ultimately probably won't matter that much. I, I think if anything, this does necessitate the need but to expand the playoff because now if you have TCU and Oklahoma State are in what is now deemed a lesser conference, uh, depending on what the Big 12 does or what those schools do, then, you know, you're going to have to find a way to to give those other schools that are not in the, basically not in the SEC or the Big 10 yeah. more of a chance to to win it all. And that that means expanding the playoff. No, I absolutely agree with that. I, I will say, though, that this is obviously I am a fan of a school who <laughs> looks to maybe not have a conference kind of soon. And and that would be devastating for that program. It would be devastating for Iowa State Athletics as a whole. And that sucks. I hate that. I hate that this kind of change could really end the um, the competitiveness of this program, of the school, the, the, the fun of being a fan. And I think, you know, a lot of Kansas State fans are, are clearly in that same uh, are feeling that same thing right now. A lot of all of the other Big 12 schools, we shouldn't be left with all right, all you can be fans of now are, you know, Alabama, or Texas, or Michigan, and that's it. Like that just that's what makes college football so fun that you can still you can root for your school, or at least a school you you were you maybe didn't go to, but you know, were near or something and, and they have a chance because, you know, there's this great parody now in athletics. And, and now it feels like that's just gonna get snatched away. And I, I do I really hate that. I'll also say this, if I'm a school in the SEC that is not great competitively and doesn't bring a lot to specifically football, like Vanderbilt, maybe. Uh, I was going to say, you're clearly talking about Vanderbilt. I'm clearly talking about Vanderbilt. <laughs> I don't feel great about this. Like the money is obviously great right now and, and that's super. But like, don't think that those schools won't screw you over at some point because they absolutely will. This is the lesson from the Big 12. It's why Nebraska left the Big 12 to get away from Texas's like manipulation of the situation. And of course, Texas was going to repay the conference by leaving. Like, obviously, that was... <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, just go back to the, the, you know, the networks. There wasn't a Big 12 network, but there was a Longhorn I network. Know. And I mean, that alone would have been yeah. reason enough to leave. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't, it made sense when Texas A&M left yeah. and to a certain extent. It'd be funny if Texas A&M and Missouri just were like, okay, can we go back in now? Yeah, back uh, to the Big, <laughs> back to the big 12. <laughs> we're fine, right? 
it's funny, like being a being a Big 12 fan and an, an older school Big 12 fan. I've heard a lot of people back in the day with the Big 12 people always used to say how much they missed the Big 8. This is not how I thought we'd get back to the Big 8 <laughs> just with like yeah, everyone no, leaving. <laughs> no, I think they're in trouble. They need, uh, you know, I don't know who, who they could add in all. Uh, maybe, I mean, I guess BYU's out there. Yeah. That would be a possibility. Boise. You know, I think we're getting closer and closer to geography just being completely irrelevant. Yeah. And once geography is irrelevant, like it is in the pro sports, you know, beyond divisions, which even some of the divisions don't make sense, then I think anything is on the table. So the idea of conference pride and like I'm a Big Ten fan, I'm an SEC fan. I mean, to me, that kind of bores me. Yeah, the SEC is the best. We all know that. SEC, like, they got even better. So, you know, I think to go back to your your first thought, like, are they cannibalizing themselves by going into this conference? That'll be interesting to see in the next couple of years, at least. We're going to have a we're going to need a playoff in the four divisions of the SEC before we can get to the, the SEC but why title not? game. I mean, like people thought, you know, people thought it was weird when the AFL and the NFL merge or, you know, like and then they, they merge and become a, a bigger conference. And that's what everyone's used to. I mean, I think yeah. you do need to have a little bit of an open mind with this because nothing is set in stone. Um, all of, all of you who are not fans of big 12 teams left behind, you guys can have open minds. I'm going to, I'm going to go cry. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's tough. Um, and I think it's tough too, because I think there's only a a couple of these schools I think are really appealing for another conference. And I don't think it's hard to add schools. It's a lot of, you know, logistical work you have to do so i don't think there's going to be a lot of like charity invites for the good of these no, schools so. yeah the big 10 <laughs> is not interested in iowa state's athletic future to to you know they don't care about any of that they don't care about making me feel better which is so typical of them but they would maybe add kansas but just because it would give michigan another easy win along <laughs> with Rutgers and maryland and all of a sudden that's three easy wins go. they're that's not gonna lose want. You know, they're going to at least win three games. Yeah, that's what, um, so that's what I want. I want to see Michigan-Iowa State every year in football. That's what I, I want to see. That would be fun for, for us only. <laughs> it would. All right. Well, we can talk about college football conferences all day, obviously, but we can leave that here for now. Uh, let's take a break. In a moment, we'll come back to talk about the Olympics. I hope everyone has been enjoying the Olympics or at least enjoying the absolute chaos of the Olympics. There are as many ways to follow the games as there are options on the NBC Sports app. We have our projected medal counter on 538.com so you can see which countries are outperforming their expectations. You should also check out the fun interactive that helps you learn how to judge new sports like skateboarding. Definitely don't miss the park skateboarding events later this week. We also are producing a video series on the mental focus that Olympic competitors need. So we wanted to have on the podcast, Michael Tabb, video producer here at 538, to talk about all that. How's it going, Michael? It's good. How about with you? Great. Great to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us. So we're going to play a quick clip from the first video in this series, which is about how a Paralympic archer uses mental projection to help him compete. A lot of times I'll, I'll play against playing cards. The harder the opponent gets, the higher the number is. So what you guys see is me turning over a nine. What I see is my opponent on my right just shot a nine. Um, It's somebody that I've shot against on a regular basis, somebody that I know is good 
somebody know that I will compete against at some point again. And the more that I can beat him in my mind at home, the more likely of beating him on, on the actual course. The, this whole video is so cool. And I really recommend checking it out on 538's YouTube channel. Michael, can you take us through some of how Olympic athletes use mental visualization to practice their sports and also how you helped visualize the science behind it? Yeah, I mean, visualization, I think, is something you learn about really young as an athlete. I know playing high school tennis really badly. We'd often talk <laughs> on the bus ride over to different events about sort of putting yourself in the game so you could have a sort of rehearsal before it was the real thing. But for elite athletes, it goes a lot deeper. And so coaches tend to refer to it as mental imagery, since it's more than just what you see, but it's all these different senses combined. And then there's even motor imagery or kinesthetic imagery where you can really feel the motions of competing. And that's especially powerful. For visualizing it for the video, there were a few things we tried to pull together. One was a technique called layering, where you're adding more and more senses to this mental representation. And so that was really conducive to graphics. Some other things were, we feature an fMRI study where they scanned the brain of some elite archers and compared their imagery practices in their brains to more novice athletes and saw what the differences were. And that's pretty telling because you can really see clearly how they're using mental imagery so much more efficiently. It's activating very specific parts of their brain involved in those movements, whereas more novice athletes, they still have a lot of activation in their brain. Things are clearly happening. It's just much more diffuse and not being used as specifically. And we also did some animations of some of the muscular pathways that are involved in imagery just to give a sort of explanation of some of the deeper science of how this works anatomically. That's so cool. It's so interesting that there really is such a difference between people who are really good at this and people who are just, you know, just novices that, you know, it's sort of a testament to like, the expertise is real, you can see it in the brain, which is very, very cool. Yeah, it's really interesting, just because you think about the brains of these athletes. And, you know, I think about all the things my body does, and my brain sort of feels like this separate thing that's just like this voice in my head. But your brain is really controlling all of your movements and everything that you do. So, so much of this like idea of skill is just in the brain. So archery is pretty a pretty, you know, visual sport. Obviously, you're, you're aiming a bow at something. Are there sports where this visualization is more useful? Or is it kind of universally applicable to, to any sport. Does it show up in any places that surprised you? I mean, mental imagery is used in basically every sport. I think compared to every other sort of mental training technique that athletes use, it is by far the most popular. I think they've done some surveys of athletes in the past and found at least 90% of elite athletes are using it. It is used differently for different sports. So, I mean, if you have a precision sport like archery, where the competition is really happening in just a few seconds, your movement is so quick, it's about really just hitting your target, you can use imagery to really slow it down. It's important to do it in live speed too, your mental rehearsal. But you can just go moment to moment of every little feeling every step of the way, which can be really powerful. There's also something called healing imagery. So mental imagery can also be used 
for if you can't compete due to an injury, you can still do these mental rehearsals, but you can also use healing imagery to sort of visualize the different stages of recovery to help your body recover faster. So there are a lot of really interesting and thought-provoking ways that mental imagery is used outside of the ways that you would sort of initially think of. It's interesting because in golf, I know golfers must do this a lot because they, they always say when you're about to hit a shot, you should start going through and thinking of, there's a lot of bad golf tips out there, but going through and thinking of like the best shot you ever hit with that club in that situation and just remember that and then that'll somehow help you do that again. I mean, for me, I think the more my brain is working in that situation, like the worse I'm going to do, it's it's kind of the opposite. I'm trying to shut it down. So like trying to clear the head. Um, but then again, I'm terrible at golf. So that's probably irrelevant for uh, when we're talking about uh, professional athletes. I mean, the idea of clearing your head of distracting yourself is really significant to a lot of athletes, even at an elite level. One of our subsequent videos we're working on is with a golfer and she is married to her caddy and a lot of the times they'll talk about their dogs or dinner because she does not want to be thinking about her next putt because she will just be so in her head that she'll never be able to make it so it's really this balancing act so you mentioned the the golf video that's coming up i believe there's one other video also in your series right do you want to talk about that for the record i didn't know there was a golf video but <laughs> you just, just you went there you just, just knew it you know yeah <laughs> Yeah, so we have two more videos in the works for this Olympic Games. Our next is about flow states, or being in the zone, and mindfulness, featuring a Canadian climber, Alana Yip, and a mental performance expert who has worked with everyone from Kobe Bryant to Michael Jordan, a lot of professional basketball players. And our third video is video featuring a golfer, Canadian golfer Alina Sharp, and uh, also a young pentathlete based in the UK talking about a technique called quiet eye, uh, which is really popularly used to avoid choking or the yips and really focus in that final moment of taking your swing. I'm, I'm really excited for for that too. Like the, the idea of, of avoiding choking is uh, would, would be useful to my golf game. Um, although who actually cares about my golf game? Nobody, not even me. Um, I like the, <laughs> the, the being in the zone is fascinating too, because that's something we don't really understand very well. You know, there's when a player is in the zone, we talk about it and we like, but we don't, we, it's hard to quantify. It's hard to really dig into so that. That sounds like a great video. I'm super excited about that. So let's talk about the Olympics as a whole. There's a lot to talk about, obviously, beyond even the the gymnastics um, mess from this morning. What are what events have you guys enjoyed most or been most surprised by so far? You know, it's interesting because I've been. It's the first year my daughter is is my oldest, Elise, uh, is is like really into it. She she'll basically turn on a sport and be like, "Oh, it's the men. Forget it." And then she'll walk out of the room. I, but, I, but love, if, I, I adore your daughter. But, <laughs> That's so great. But if it's the girls, uh, she's she's in. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's the West Coast hours or maybe it's me not really fully, what, six days in grappling with the schedule <laughs> or the uh, time change. But I've been watching a lot of the uh, fringier sports, the non-prime time or non-main NBC sports, which has been really fun. You know, I watched the skateboarding, which was incredible. Oh, wasn't it fun? Because these girls were 13. 
And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm sitting there with a girl. Uh, my daughter's almost 10. She's like three years younger than them. And they're doing these insane things. And just they're, I don't know if maybe, you know, going back to the mental aspect of sports, whether being 13, I, I can't even imagine just being on that stage and performing at that level as a 13 year old. I mean, I like, you know, barely dress myself when I was 13. <laughs> And, but I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe being that young helps, you know, it's curious. Like it's going back to like what we were saying earlier, maybe not having all that sort of, you know, memories and failures and everything else in your brain or clogging it up or just the, you know, youth and adolescence helps, but it was really impressive. And also the skateboarding was just cool to see. It's like the amount of falling was remarkable, like compared to, uh, you know, figure skating where you see like one fall every, you know, couple routines. They were falling almost every jump and just getting back up and taking like terrible hits. And, but amazing just how they would pop up and they were all always all smiling and it was like a great attitude. So it was a great like, I don't know, it was a great moment. I hope that sport stays. I know it's like not uh, a sure thing and I know it's kind of X Games turf, but I, I definitely enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I was struck too by the falling like falls that would like wipe me out of all <laughs> activity for like a year, maybe. <laughs> and they just yeah. like pop back up and jump back on their board and like skate up the, the ramp. I'm like, I don't understand how that is. But yeah, the skateboarding, what a fun, what a fun event. I really feel like that skateboarding won people over just by the energy of it and and just how fun it was to watch. And those those girls, man, I, I do think there's something too. No expectations on you. You're just out there yeah, having a good time. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. How great. What about you, Michael? What What have you enjoyed so far? I really enjoyed... I thought it was really interesting seeing the men's team gymnastics about that Russian gymnast who was the last to go and just f- added some stuff into his floor routine to get the points he needed to win. Just the idea of deviating. I think he may have... I don't know if he lost points for deviating but then more than made up for them with what he added. But I thought that was really interesting of the benefits of being the person to go last and just seeing what you need to overcome to propel yourself to victory. And being willing to make that change. That's got to be like to go away from what you normally do. That's got to be a lot, a lot of pressure you put on yourself to, to maybe secure the win like they did. It's interesting. You know, there was a lot of that going on in the skateboarding, too. You could tell um, when the the Brazilian, the girl who ended up meddling, um, you know, at one point she just needed to land a trick because literally everyone had fallen. So, uh, you know, she, she pulled out one that was obviously impossible looking, but easy by her standards. Whereas like the American who was like trying to get onto the podium was pulling out her hardest trick and bailed on that but it does seem like there was a like felt like it was fertile ground for a lot of strategy in terms of like dip, like gauging how difficult of a maneuver you were going to do at any given moment yeah definitely what um what events are coming up still that you guys are excited about does there is there anything that happens in the last half that you're into track that kind of stuff i'm very excited for climbing i'm really curious how that'll look and i mean you have these three very different events so i'm curious if it will seem cohesive or if I'll just 
be struggling to find all the NBC bits to watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to see more of the surfing, too. I mean, it's funny. Like, I usually kind of scoff at the new events, but I'm like very much into the new events this year. Maybe I'm just tired of the same old thing. But, um, you know, obviously the track will be super entertaining. It usually is just as the swimming is like the there's something about the racing sports that are just always fun. Yeah. In the, as the, um, with how chaotic these Olympics have been, I'm like, I want to watch, um, men's basketball just to see (laughs) what happens. Yeah, Um, that's true. (laughs) I mean, they're not, they're going to lose. I mean, it's it's like, it feels uh, pretty sure that they're going to lose. Yeah. I mean, they might not medal at this point. I mean, I don't, I mean, this obviously will be a great soundbite when they just easily, (laughs) like march to gold yeah no i mean i'll I'll watch the men's as like the like chaos event and then the women's basketball as like the palate cleanser like okay this is where we're supposed to be also three on three basketball i didn't i wasn't really into that before it's like just another basketball love it maybe my favorite now version of basketball so much more fun than than the regular five on five that's been super fun too and go americans it's it's so funny being ex- exposed to these new sports. Like I, you know, yeah. I watched a little handball, and I'm like, why why do we not? Yeah, uh, do this sport. This sport's great. Uh, well, we've still got. It feels like the Olympics have been going on now already for like a year, but in fact, yeah. it's only been a couple of days, and we still have like a week and a half left. So, um, so much more yet to come. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. I I'm really excited to see your next two videos. Um. I really encourage everyone to go check them out on the site. Thanks so much for having me. All right, well, let's take a break and we'll be back in a moment for our rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves flying down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of those descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. This week, I want to talk about a topic we've discussed before, team names. So last week in this very busy uh, news week, the Cleveland Indians announced that they had picked a new name. At the conclusion of the 2021 season, they'll be known as the Guardians. Guardians has a local connection, the, the Guardians of Traffic statues that have graced the Hope Memorial Bridge for almost 100 years. And in polling done throughout the past year, Guardians did seem to be among the favorites of Clevelanders. The color scheme and script and all that will be pretty much the same. The look will be very familiar. Some critics saw that as a missed opportunity, but my take is that when you introduce something new like this, some familiarity is probably good. You want your fans to embrace a big change like this, and some familiar branding seems smart to me. Jeff, what do you think of the new name? You know, I think it was awkward at first. I was like, Guardians. Uh, <laughs> Of the galaxy. <laughs> and then the meme where they were just showing the IANS of the <laughs> Indians jersey and just the, that was funny. But look, at the end of the day, I think you're right. I think when something is unusual, the public's initial reaction is to bristle at it. But I, I do like unique names. And I think this is a unique name. I mean, it's better than just a retread that doesn't have a lot of meaning like, you know, I don't know wild cats or something like that. It's <laughs> generic as you that. get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like it seems like most new names are unique names, but um so I I think it could grow on us. I mean, I, it's funny because like you remember how much we were like shocked and mocked relentlessly when they said they're going to be Washington football team. And, and now everyone loves it. <laughs> and now everyone's like, mm, it kind of works." Yeah. 
Um, and I know Washington football team is like, I think going to announce a name. I think they said that um, at some point, but I, I'm kind of like, just, just go with it. Football team. I know. I was really happy when they decided to stay football team for another year. Like, yeah, do that. It's so much. I like it. It's, it's better. Let's more of that, please. But yeah, I mean, I was for Cleveland. I was rooting for the spiders. Yeah, me too. I understand why they didn't want to go with that. Like Neil's point of that, of like the Spiders being like one of the worst teams ever. It's not like, do you want to name your team after a team that was historically bad? Like maybe not. But, I, and I, I liked the the like opportunities for fun that that would be. But I think Guardians is good. And most importantly, I think having a new name is good. Like that's what really we got, I keep going back to. Like the change is a good change, even if we're not used to this yet. We'll get used to it. Again. Yeah. I am fan. I am a fan It'll of. It'll grow on us. It'll yeah. grow on us. My baseball team has an like objectively stupid name. Like the twins oh, so, is dumb. So many of the so many <laughs> of those older names are dumb. All of them dumb. Dumb. I mean, yeah. There are several teams named after socks. Yeah. Red socks. <laughs> yeah. an a- two teams with a socks yeah. spelled with an X is yeah. dumb. Yeah, um, really. You know, Reds is. I mean, there's like none of these names. Are, the older names are great, but. Because we're used to them, we exactly. don't question them. So it does, I agree, 100%. It, it just yeah. takes time. What What was the reason for not taking Spiders, though? I mean, surely it wasn't Neil's reason that they were uh, had a bad history there. Because it's not like their history as the Indians was so great. <laughs> yeah, <that's> <laughs> very true. No, I didn't ever hear that specifically refuted. It just seemed to, like... It just kind of, you know, went down the list of like popular things. It seemed like it was very popular right away for people, but then it never, it didn't really stick there for some reason. Um, So yeah, I'm not sure why they didn't go with that. But all of this, all of this reminded me of the story we did last fall that looked at team names across pro college and high school sports, names using, you know, indigenous imagery or, or words. And I wanted to check to see if there's been any movement in, in Cleveland's current team name among high schools. So last October, we found 411 high schools with Indians as their mascots or with native imagery in their logos. My search now shows 385 Indians mascots. Now, a couple of those were because of school consolidations and they just didn't decide to keep that name when they consolidated schools. But there were a lot of schools that did actually decide to to drop the Indians name in the past year. In fact, just last week, the school board of Lamont, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, voted to remove the Indians nickname from its high school. Elsewhere, Farmington High in Connecticut is now going to be the River Hawks. Pocatello High in Idaho is now the Thunder. Garfield High in Dale City, Virginia will now be the Red Wolves. So those are all changes that just happened in the past year. I'm not sure you can like draw a d- direct line from Cleveland's decision last year to change its name or even Washington's decision to change its name to the decisions of these high schools, given you know the trends toward this we've seen over the past several years. But still, I want to check in on this in another year and see what those numbers are. You have to imagine that pro teams changing their names do spur some high schools to do the same. Yeah, I mean, I think the sentiment that that behind Washington changing its name and Cleveland changing its name is probably the same thing behind these high schools changing their names. And in a lot of ways, a high school changing their nickname is, is a lot easier. I mean, that is just like a simple decision. You're not out there like, selling merch and uh you know you have signage and you have all these other like 
complications that the pro teams have. It's really just a simple decision. So, you know, good for them for doing it. Although, you know, to that point, it has been interesting to see some of the longer the longer fights about this that have happened in some communities. There there have been people very entrenched about high school nicknames, which seems a little bit ridiculous. Like how do you identify really strongly with your high school mascot still as you when you're older, I mean, I, that, that it, it surprises me that some people really do. And then I think some people just want to fight about issues too. And yeah. It, my high school changed its name when, when, uh, when I was there, cause we were called the beavers and everyone just thought it was, I guess they weren't <laughs> Oregon state fans, but they just kind of giggled <laughs> at it and thought it was stupid. Hmm. Um, it wanted something, <laughs> uh, tougher. I don't know. What did they uh, change the, to the Cougars, which ah. is pretty boring. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, I, I think they should probably change back to Beavers at this point. It's just a better name. Um, <laughs> we were we were the Patriots, um, but we were Lincoln High School and there was also a Washington High School in in our city. And I always thought it was like kind of dumb that we were the Patriots and not Washington. That may, would have made more sense historically <laughs> for that to have been the case. But what are you going to do? What do you what do you think in terms of pro teams? What who would be next? Would it be? The Chicago Blackhawks, would it be the Kansas City Chiefs? It's probably the Atlanta Braves seem to be under the most pressure. I mean, the Blackhawks seem, I have been, I continue to be surprised that the Blackhawks don't face more pressure. Um, I know they're, you know, they're. It's hockey. (laughs) Also that, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the Braves, I don't know. I, I feel like the Braves are kind of just not willing to make that change. Um, the ch- may, I think maybe the Chiefs, but I don't think it'll be anytime soon. The teams that are still, you know, teams had a chance last year to sort of say that's what they wanted to do. They wouldn't have gotten, I think, I mean, Cleveland, I think is a good example. They didn't get a lot of grief from people who didn't want the change. It just is kind of was like, yeah, it's probably the right time. And I think the further we get from the events of last summer, the less opportunity those teams will have to do it without, you know, with just in the conversation. I, I think the Cleveland's change, I think ultimately stems from Chief Wahoo, um, yeah. even though they, you know, stopped using that logo, which was horribly offensive. Yeah. It, it still was you couldn't go to a game and not see that. And, you know, frankly, that'll be true for a while because for whatever reason, there are fans who love that logo. So I do think that was part of the impetus there. The Blackhawks is just an old, old name. So maybe it's the tradition, you know, the original, original six name that is keeping it around. But the Atlanta Braves to me, it's like a transplant, but it's not even their name, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. do something specific to Atlanta. You don't want me to rant about that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and it's every time I hear the Tomahawk chop, a Braves game, a Chiefs game, you know, Seminoles, whatever. I think this is why we need to change the name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a Florida state thing. I think even Deion Sanders might've, brought it with him from Florida State. I don't know if that's true, but, you know, it certainly was adopted by the the Braves after Florida State had established it. And Florida State's name with the Seminole tribe is really complicated, too. And, you know, it seems like it should change, but, uh, you know, there's 
some politics there. I, I don't know if that one's going anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I wish that all of those teams, even as they wrestle with their names, would stop doing the tomahawk chop. But that has has proved elusive so far. But guys, it's the it's the it's the first the first step to to not be terrible. Try it. Take it. You can do it. All right. Well, that will do it for this rabbit hole and that will do it for this week's show. We will be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you are subscribed, please rate and review us on your podcast app. It helps new people discover the show. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room and our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Jeff and Michael, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.